Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to have Katrina Vanden Heuvel with us today. She is a, an American editor and publisher. She is the publisher, part owner, and former editor of Progressive, the Progressive Magazine, The Nation. She is often a commentator on political televisions, including ABC, CBS, NBC, and all the major networks. Vanden hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Huvel is a member of the Council of Foreign Relations, a U.S. nonprofit think tank. She is a recipient of the Norman Mailer Prize. Vanden Heuvel graduated from the Trinity University in 1977. She graduated summa cum laude with an AB in politics from Princeton University. Ms. Van Heuvel, thank you so kindly for having been or for being here in politics. Then, right? How are you doing today? I'm okay. Please call me Katrina. All right. No problem. <laughs> no problem, Katrina. <laughs> Anyhow, look, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you today is uh, your expertise on what's going on in um, Ukraine right now and and NATO and the United States. Why don't you first give our audience a rundown of Ukraine from its it, from its recent nascent existence? So thank you and uh, honored to join you. I'm not an expert. I'm someone who's traveled to Russia, really Moscow, for 40 years and have covered the country. And certainly I've, I've covered the crisis, not just in the last months, but over the last decade or more really since the end of the Soviet Union, 20 years. So Ukraine. Ukraine uh, is a, a very large republic adjoining Russia. The crisis right now is that Ukraine, we're witnessing a civil war that has become a proxy war that has become a ge geopolitical struggle. Uh, Ukraine is an independent country. It's deeply divided between East and West. Kiev They speak Ukrainian. In the east of Ukraine, it's Russian speaking. These are important issues in terms of protection of rights and language. The, um, the grave sin here, if, <clears throat> if I might say, was NATO expansion, which your listeners may know some about. But just briefly, at the end of this, when the Soviet Union ended, the Warsaw Pact, which was the counter to NATO, collapsed, as it did the Soviet Union. So the question was, why was NATO needed? NATO had been designed to keep mm -hmm. Russia out. It was a military structure. It's no coffee clutch. In 1990, in Berlin, uh, when Germany reunified, these were all dramatic events, Gorbachev, then Soviet leader, really a democratizer, who's democracy attempts have been squandered, was promised by George H.W. Bush and James Baker that NATO would not, quote, move one inch eastward. This is, was a broken promise. There was no agreement. It was verbal. But it has tainted and poisoned relations ever since. Um, so NATO not only expanded eastward, but it has expanded to the borders of Russia. The epicenter of the Cold War, the old Cold War, was Germany. 13 countries joined before 2008, and then now you have 30 plus. And the real uh -huh. 
crunch came and I'll, in 2008, when George W uh, at a NATO meeting fast-tracked Ukraine and Georgia membership. You know, it's not, it, there's a delusional quality to our discussions right now because for you, there's a deep asymmetry as well. For Russia, Ukraine is a vital interest. You can say national security, but it's also human. Many Russians are intermarried, they're ties. There's no vital interest in this country in Ukraine. Some people may say that's blasphemy, but it's a realist position. And no American president is gonna send American men and women. They are sending weapons, this are you. But it's um, even according to NATO's own charter, Ukraine could not join at this moment because of the territorial integrity issues. So there's a, you know, it's really, so 2013, 14, there was essentially a coup in Ukraine. There were attempts to uh, have a, an election uh, with the former president as part of it, but that fell apart, he fled a uh, new leader came to power, a chocolate oligarch, um, <laughs> and who was very corrupt. And mm -hmm. um, he is, was ousted in an election. And the new president is a, someone who played a president on TV. On TV, yeah. He, he, he's a humorist. He's a comedian. And he's well-meaning. But the forces in Ukraine that are seeking to undermine uh, diplomatic resolution are fierce. And I think we often forget that in both countries, Ukraine and Russia, you have forces that are not just, you know, Putin, Putin, Putin. He has his own blob, his own establishment and his own military hardline forces. And those in Eastern Ukraine, separatists who are seeking a different resolution, aren't that happy about diplomacy, would rather so there's a lot going on. I will conclude right now and say the most dangerous thing in my mind. And I do think we're at a moment, and I, you know, again, your listeners, viewers, how resonant this is, a moment of U.S.-Russian confrontation that is, is as dangerous as the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. Nuclear armed powers. The most dangerous thing, it seems to me, is not that we're sending troops to the East European countries. As you know, 3,000 troops have been sent. They're more on alert. It's the weapons and the special advisors going into Ukraine. The weapons since 2014, about $3 billion. And we don't know how many special advisors there are. The danger there, of course, is you know, a tripwire, an accident, a stumble, a US special ops force on the front lines shot. I mean, these are issues that could trigger. So I don't see this as a, that parallel to World War II and all the talk of Munich and appeasement. It's more like World War I, where we could be stumbling into a bloody trench, person-to-person -person kind of 19th century battle. Very dangerous. You know, it, it is sad, Katrina, because one of the things that, that, that really upsets me a lot is 
you come on. You did it both with the Nations uh, magazine and many others do it with other other rags out there. Is that they really try to educate the American populace as to what's going on so that they can make an educated decision. One of the things that I really uh, find intriguing is that we just got out of Afghanistan, and in going out of Afghanistan, we left the defense industrial complex uh, needing. They, they needed places to, to arm. And in keeping an, an, an intelligent American population, and you create a, a, an issue that we don't understand, that what, what Bush did with uh, Russia, et cetera, it gives the impetus to provide more weaponry and more business mm -hmm. to these guys. I want you to tell me what do you see as the relation between the uneducated American uh, by design as well as a military industrial complex using that to push politicians to work against our own interest? Very, very, very good question. Um, so to step back a year or so, I think every few years, the United States issues a strategic national security strategy document, five-year planning. And it was interesting this past document that counterinsurgency, as it's called, was downgraded and the new threats are Russia and China. <laughs> and they're called it, the new threats. Now, you, if you take it to your good question, the weapons companies, this is crass, but real, don't make that much money in counterinsurgency. The big weapon systems, big ones, are in the old forms of Cold War, China, Russia. In fact, there was a, a good report about a week ago, someone got on a call. These, these are big companies, the big four military industrial complexes, and it was a call with shareholders, and they were boasting of how much they were making in these times, how good it was for them. Uh, I don't think you can strip away those profits and what that means. NATO, by the way, is also uh, very involved, invested in the military industrial complex. Part of membership in NATO is that you're, you buy primarily from US, maybe French, other companies, and that your equipment be compatible, interoperability. Um, so, he, but here's my thinking about people. I think there's a tendency in a lot of our politics around foreign policy to blame the people. You know, like the people demand we do this. I think there's a lot going on in Washington in the blob and the establishment that has its own rhyme and rhythm. It's in its own world. I think Americans, and I don't want to speak for all Americans, but you could see in the, you see in some of the surveys, people don't want endless war. I mean, there was an anger how we got out of Afghanistan, not, not that we did get out. Mm -hmm. It's a different issue, I mean, but, um, but it is insane, it seems to me. I do think people want an end to endless wars, multiple deployments. Who's fighting? You know, I mean, it's, a, it's class, it's race. It brings, and then the, the ultimate to me is, um, think of all the crises we have to face from, from pandemics, I just read like we're running out of you know equipment globally. There's an apartheid of vaccination. We have an existential climate crisis. We have staggering inequality at home and globally, and racial justice, injustice. So many issues that demand resources. So we've just come out of an insurgency. Twenty years, the longest running war, except for maybe for Korea. And you know how much we you know cost of war project at Brown University estimated, and they're very good, 5.6 trillion. Think of that. And today, the humanitarian catastrophe in Afghanistan is horrific and demands 5 billion. 
but the international community such as it is can't find that money. So I think, you know, if we're gonna go to war, which we shouldn't, I've said this, we should have an escrow account designated for the cost of war. If we, you know, the people should not at this stage, those who are suffering in Afghanistan because of all the battles. And so uh, we're, we are we really going into another insurgency in a country which, you know, it's, it's just, um, I don't know where the wisdom is. I do know that there is a diplomatic path uh, on offer that if there was a will and there's a way you can find a kind of at a minimum work toward a solution which is the best we can do right? well you know katarina i think what the, the work that you do and the work that a lot a lot of us are trying to do right now in 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 in, in getting the people to pressure their politicians otherwise yes. it's the only option that we have right now and the only option that can actually bear results because the, the opponent the war industrial complex the defense industrial oh, complex dear. they are powerful and on right here in, on k street we know what it's like now I, I, you brought up something that that's going to force me to segue into a quick issue i don't want to take too much of your time but i really want to get your opinions on this um you, you started to speak about the vaccine and the apartheid and vaccine etc 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 i i don't only look at it as the apartheid and vaccine i look at it as in in the in in that the the crisis that we have between the haves and the have-nots so huge and anytime we try to assist there's a problem build back better something that is marginally small compared to what we put out in so many places is problematic how first of all what what's your thoughts on build back better and its composites and also what are your thoughts on how the hell do we get out of this dilemma? Well, small question, <laughs> um, but it's it, critical. Um, you're right that what should be is a massive public investment program. And what we've gotten, you know, there was first the, the American infra infrastructure plan did cut poverty 40%, but the fact that it doesn't continue is a travesty. And then you had the basic infrastructure plan. So you had the relief plan 1.9 and the infrastructure. But Build Back Better had some very good programs. But as we know, you got two people who are holding up due to the undemocratic nature of the Senate. And without those margins, this thing has been held up. I think Manchin said the other day, it's dead. There's going to be a move as I follow it to pass in different pieces. So mm -hmm. it's not bill. I had a problem with, you know, there was a hope that the bill would be covered, the Build Back Better, as a bill to improve the condition of people's lives. Instead, every day, as you know, in the media, it was sausage. It was, you know, how much did it cost? How much did it cost? And people got freaked out, I think, by that and not learning what was in it that would improve the condition of their lives. Our system, what scares me is we have a structural block. We have a minoritarian power center, undemocratic, uh, racist for the most part, and uh, they have a hold of institutions that will assure their power for a long period of time. And I think how we take on the institutions is a very difficult job, but it's imperative because the Senate's not democratic. Look at the courts. The Supreme Court in some, you know, it's just a, such a block and now we're gonna have this battle. 
And then you have the state houses gerrymandering. So these are all demand what you said, people power, but also allied with those inside who can fight the fight. Uh, I do think the movements have been strong. I believe in social movements making change. We talk about speaking truth to power. I'm struck by this, though, because I wrote a little bit about Afghanistan based on the Afghan papers, which were open documents showing the generals knew it wasn't working. It was like, you know, Vietnam. So, in fact, in speaking truth to power, often those in power know the truth, but they don't want to show it because they show their weakness. And I think we can approach movement organizing in a way that there are weaknesses and there are inflection points and edges we can take on. Now, your magazine has been instrumental in the progressive movement, uh, bar no other. Well, there, there are many out there as well, yeah. but yours have been instrumental. Um, but one of the issues that we have is that we don't get enough coverage of the issues in the detail that you that you've just spoken about. I mean, you you're every now and then they want to get a little snippet. They throw you on MSNBC or NBC or one of the networks and you get to say your piece. And we have the right and the neoliberals talking both against you. I mean, it's like your left is your left flank is not with you and your right flank is not with you. I've spoken about having to really establish a strong independent network that is not affiliated at all with any of the corporatocracy. Um, uh, how can we achieve that goal, in your opinion, given your expertise with having been with The Nation magazine and others? Well, I think it's already happening in the sense that younger audiences, and I don't mean to be ageist, mm -hmm. are not watching some of the corporate media. They're making their own media. Some of it is of quality. Some of it is not. But the technology, not to fetishize the technology, but does allow more independence. And whether it's podcasts, I believe in radio, uh, streaming, there, there's an ability to hear more voices. And I think people, many people are sick of the kind of suffocating consensus. You're so right. When I was doing more corporate media, they cast you. They wanted you to be the liberal Democrat. And by the way, that was the, the kind of range of mm -hmm. views. So they immediately limit the parameter of views. And then there was Russiagate, which, you know, you can have different points of view on, but I think it squandered five years of our, you know, how, how much was not discussed and all the attention to it. And I was doing a uh, radio show and I think, you know, they wanted a liberal and I sounded not in terms of my views about cooperation with uh -huh. Russia, but in terms of the situation with Russiagate. So, but, you know, and then it's, it's, it's not healthy in terms of the parameters of the possible. And I think, um, I do think there's more opportunity. Uh, it's still not what it should be. These are the people's airwaves, uh, but they are the news. We are fir our first and only centerfold at the nation. It was like a glossy centerfold it was four octopi, uh, you know, and mm -hmm. it showed like the news was a tiny cog in a corporate entity. Mm -hmm. You know, that plays a role because these corporations have to go get licensed in DC. It's not, you know, there are a whole set of factors, but um, I, I think there's more opportunity than now, 20 years ago. I end every single one of my interviews with the same question. And that is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? I love this conversation. I'm so used to four second conversations. <laughs> um, 
you know, this is a, what, what could have been, I believe in alternatives in life, love, politics. Instead of NATO, there could have been a demilitarized architecture of work and politics in Europe, but instead we've militarized so much that I find that debilitates and depletes the mind. So peace and security and restraint and engagement and less military, you know, let's start to demilitarize because it's not, it's not assisting anyone. Katrita van den Heuvel, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. I am sure that my audience would be more knowledgeable for it. Thank you so kindly. Very grateful. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.